Well, good morning. If you would open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 29, not 29, whoops, 19, chapter 19. We've been going through the book of John. Things have been swelling towards a, a, um, quite a climax and we're there. We've arrived. We're at the cross of Christ. We're going to read our, pa- our passage this morning. The text is going to be verses 23 through 37. We're going to read that and then pray. And then begin. John chapter 19, verse 23 said, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was was set a vessel full of vinegar, And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came. Uh, Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first, and the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. And he saw, uh, and he he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith is true, that you might believe. For these things are done that the scriptures should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they they shall look on him whom they pierced. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I praise you for the book of John, the gospel of John. Lord, uh, sometimes the, the facts are a bit spartan, a little sparse. But Lord, John always includes that exactly what we, which we need to hear. God, I pray that as we observe this passage, these verses, and we consider the implications that, God, you will make for us more clearer than ever the value of the cross. Lord, help us to see it for ourselves, see it in our own eyes, see it what Jesus has done for us and the extent to what he did. Lord, I pray for these that are here. I pray that this will be a time of worship. Lord, that's what 
this time is supposed to be a time of worship, a time where we draw near to your word, those that believe, and gain deeper understanding and apply the truths to our lives in a way that changes. God, I also pray for those that are here that have not believed. Lord, there, there may be one here. There probably is. God, I ask that that person, these persons, will see clearly their need for a Savior. They'll see the requirement that, that is uh, for them to believe. And I pray that, Lord, you'll give them boldness. Let them lay aside all the things that keep them from doing what you say to do. Help them to believe today. We love you. And we trust you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I, um, how many of you all had two grandpas? Only a few of you? Actually, all of you have two grandpas, even if you didn't know them. I had two grandpas, and praise the Lord, I knew both my grandpas and both my grandmas. I have on my dad's side, Mama and Papa, who raised my dad in Roanoke, Texas. He was born in Bonham, out in the middle of nowhere, and, and uh, shortly after that, they moved to Fort Worth and raised my dad in, in Roanoke, Texas. And, and then I have on my mother's side, uh, who I called Grandmother and Papa. Now, grandmother wanted to be, she was a country grandma, but she, she didn't like granny or anything like She wanted to be grandmother. But I spent a lot of time with my papa. I love spending time with him. He was an engineer at Bell Helicopter. He had a really interesting life. He is a, a World War II veteran and, uh, and really was a self-taught engineer in many ways. He never graduated college, though he went to the University of North Texas. But he was a, he was a chief engineer at uh, Bell Helicopter. Having not a degree to his name is pretty amazing. You can't do that nowadays. But I love spending time with him. He retired when I was about five or six years old, and, and my mom worked often, and so I would spend time with Papa. He loved to tinker, fix things in his garage. And, and, uh, and, and when he would do that, the reason why I loved spending time with him so much is because he would tell me stories. He'd tell me stories of his past. He told me about some of the things he saw in Germany when he was in World War II. He didn't tell me any of the horrible things. And when I tried to interview him, he, he said, you won't believe what people will do to other people. But he told me stories about meeting Charles Lindbergh. Uh, amazing stories. He told me the story about when he took up fencing and he had these fencing swords. And I'll never forget being scared to death when he brandished a sword at me, trying to teach me how to fence for a little bit. And I was maybe 10 years old. I love spending time with Papa because he told me these stories that had a basis of truth, a, a period of time where something real and tangible happened, something that he experienced firsthand with his eyes. What John is doing here in this book is he's sharing what he saw firsthand. He's sharing some incredibly important truths that we must come to grip with. Last week we talked about what John was, was revealing in his passage, uh, in that passage we looked at last week, the long passage, I know, but we talked about how he revealed that Jesus is the crucified king, that he was chosen before the foundation of the world to die on a cross, and that he chose to die on the cross, that he was sovereign over his own death. But in this passage, we see that not only is Jesus that uh, that. A sovereign king, not only is he the sovereign savior, not only is he the crucified king, but he is also the one who finished it all. All, what do you mean? Well, we'll talk about that. 
The first thing we see, that if, if you're paying attention to this passage that jumps off the page for us, what you see is that Jesus, and what John wants you to know, is that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. In fact, through this passage, you'll see a number of times where John references something that took place in the past. The first uh, thing he de- describes is in that first few verses is, is the garment. You remember the garment? Verse 23, the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments. And they made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. So he had a few articles of clothing that he was wearing, a belt and some sandals and maybe a couple other things, but he had a coat with him too. And the coat, it describes it, and you can go back and read it, but it was woven from one end to the other. There were no seams in it where they could just rip it at the seams. And, and instead of ripping it, at this, you know, ripping it up to pieces and just having, they decided they'll keep the thing whole and they'll cast lots. Now, why is this important? Why? Why, why would John include such a strange fact? Well, John references Psalms 22. Psalms 22.18, specifically, he even quotes it. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's a psalm of David. You know, David was a king. David was a king of Israel. He was, in fact, he was, uh, uh, this psalm that we have in Psalm 22 is a picture of the Messiah. The Messiah had actually been prophesied to come from the house of David, to actually be a, a, a son, one of the sons of David in direct lineage. And not only that, to be like David. This Messiah, Jesus, who we identify as Jesus, was going to be like David. David was a king, and David had a lot of wonderful victories. But it wasn't always cupcakes and rainbows. There were times when he experienced great suffering, like what's described in Psalms 22, if you read that whole passage. And at the foot of the cross, these Roman soldiers do exactly what, this, uh, what is described in, in Psalms 22. Their cruelty leads them to cast lots and to confirm Jesus is the righteous king that Psalms 22 points us towards. John records their actions and then he points us to that prophecy. Why? Why? So that we might believe. The next thing we see uh, that I want to talk about is the drink. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And what happened? There was a vessel full of vinegar, and they lifted a sponge full of vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Psalm 69, verse 19. Another psalm of David. David wrote, Thou hast known my reproach and my shame. And my dishonor, my adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. You know, those words could have been written by Jesus. 
Jesus on the cross, surrounded by enemies, surrounded by those who hated him and and in their cruelty crucified him. He said, I thirst. A plea for a little mercy. And what did they give him? Vinegar. No mercy. But that passage, John makes reference to that passage and he explains what he saw the soldiers do. Another perfect fulfillment of prophecy from a thousand years before. Or in verse 36, after Jesus had had died, John writes, these things were done. He's referring to a request made by those in verse 36, those, uh, the, 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 are the ones that had requested this back in um, uh, verse 31, excuse me. The Jews, therefore, because it was a, the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. Listen, uh, people who died by the cross didn't usually die as quickly as Jesus did. Sometimes they would hang up there for days. Now, that doesn't diminish Jesus' suffering even a little bit. I mean, Jesus had suffered much even before he got to the cross. But Jesus was on the cross, I think, if I'm correct in in this, not a very long time compared to some others. Just several hours. But the Jews knew that it might take days for this, or it may just take a, it may bleed over into the Sabbath day. And so they requested, hey, Pilate, would you go and just break the bones of these guys so they just die so we can get them down from there before the Sabbath arrives? Because we can't do any work on the Sabbath. What did it say in verse 36? For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. What, what is he pointing to? The bones of Jesus. They go, they decide, yes, we'll break the legs of these uh, of these that are on the cross. And, and so they go to that first guy on the cross and they, uh, it, can you imagine how cruel and terrible the hammer in their hand to smash the bone, leg bones of these men on the cross? They smash the bones of the first guy. They go to the, the, the other guy the, the Jesus on the other side of Jesus and they smash the bones of his legs so that he would hang and suffocate and die. And they get to Jesus. And what does it say? He was already dead. So they didn't break his bones. And it said, Uh, John is constantly pointing us back. He says uh, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. He's referencing Psalm 34, verses 19 through 20. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Who keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. The Messiah would indeed suffer. (laughs) Yeah, he would suffer. He would die, but not one of his bones would be broken. And every prophecy about Jesus comes true. And then there's one more here, verse 35. Soldiers don't break Jesus' legs, but one of them thrusts a spear into his side. And as the soldier pulls that spear back, blood and water gush out of the wound. There's a lot of ideas about what this blood and water is or what it signifies. But I'll give you the significance in my words. It's that Jesus was a real man. And that he died a real death. And that the suffering that he endured on the cross had caused real trauma to his body. 
And then when that, when that spear was thrust into him, there, you know a spirit can't shed blood? A, a spirit doesn't have blood and water in it. It was Jesus in the flesh. God in the flesh, a real man, a real death on the cross. This was no hoax that Jesus performed. This was no act. There's some that, that say that whenever that, uh, you know, he's, he's thrusting that spear up into Jesus, he's, he, he went right under the rib cage and up directly into the heart. And that water that came out was all the water that had gathered around the heart. I don't know if that's true or not. But that, it pierced the heart. Let me tell you, Jesus died. <laughs> he was dead. He was real. And this prophecy we see comes from Zechariah 12. Verse 10, it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I think it's interesting, and I, I want to make this distinction for you, that this prophecy says is that it's the nation of Israel that will pierce the Messiah. But who held the, the spear? It was a Roman soldier, but who charged the Romans to carry out this execution? It was the Jews. It was the Jews ultimately responsible for this piercing, for this horrible death. The point of this all is not to disgust us. I mean, it's a disgusting idea to imagine this, this violent, gory thing. It's not meant to disgust us, though. What does it say in verse 35? And he saw it, and he that saw it, who's he talking about? Who's John talking about? He's talking about himself. Is it John that saw it? Bear the record. And his record is true, and he knows that he saith is true, that you might believe. The point isn't to disgust us. It is to help us believe. You know, we may think a lot of things about Jesus. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Some of you may not know much about Jesus, and your opinion is, well, I don't know much about Jesus, and I, maybe I wish I knew more. Or your opinion may uh, say that you believe on Jesus, that he's the only begotten Son of God. Let me tell you, the most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. I told the story about how my, my papa told me stories about meeting Charles Lindbergh or, or the time he spent in Germany. He told me stories, uh, uh, the things he did when he was a helicopter uh, engineer and how he tried to, he worked specifically on the tilt rotor uh, uh, technology that they finally came through with about uh, 12 years after he retired. Um, he told me those stories and those stories, I cherished them and I enjoy them, but in my mind, they just, they're kind of on the shelf. They're kind of on the shelf, and, and, and they're kind of in a place where they can gather dust and, and cobwebs. But what 
what John is revealing to us and what this story that he's telling us and, and the constant references to the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus are not for us to, to take them and to hear them and go, yeah, man, that sounds really good. I really enjoyed hearing Brother Darren talk about that. And then, and then to file them on the shelf in our mind and let them gather dust and, and, and cobwebs. No, the story, the story of Jesus and the way John is expressing it is so that you will believe. That you will believe that Jesus was the Son of God. That Jesus was the sovereign Savior and that he had, he had control over his own death and his own manner of death. That Jesus fulfilled all prophecy. That there's none other that fits the glove of Old Testament prophecy like he does. John shares this with us that it will define who we become in Christ. Because let me tell you, when you receive Jesus Christ, when you trust him, I mean, when you commit your trust to Jesus, I'm not talking about listening to this and listening to what Brother Darren says and going, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I believe that historically took place. I mean, you you put all your life and your hope and your dreams into this one event. When you trust in Jesus Christ, when you, uh, like if you're in an airplane that's going down, you put the parachute on and pull the ripcord and put your trust in that life-saving device. When you do that with Jesus, your life changes. And this doesn't become just some story that's on the shelf of your mind, a gathering dust and cobwebs. No, no, no. This is the center of who we, very, who we are. This is the story that saves every person that is saved. This is the reality that everyone must accept that their sin took this perfect man to the cross where he shed his blood for you and for me. That if we would choose to believe, put our trust in him, that we would be saved. The writers of the Gospels, all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they didn't write these books so that we, like, like, like for the, just for the benefit of their grandchildren, to just remember their history. No, they wrote it because they realized their life was short. And yes, he, what, what did Jesus tell them that they were going to be in Acts chapter 1? He said, you're going to be witnesses of me. You're not going to be witnesses of me just to your grandkids or your kids. You're going to be witnesses of me to the uttermost parts of the world. And I, I think they didn't quite realize it at the time, but that means also for all ages of history. These men got to, I don't know what period of life John was in when he wrote the Gospel of John. I think Brother Lester might could tell me. But I can tell you it wasn't right after this happened. There was a time when he realized, you know, I may not be here much longer to tell this story. There was a time when Matthew and Mark and, and Luke, these guys, they, didn't, they realized, I may not be here very long to tell this story. And they wrote these things down. Why? So that we might believe. I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, every single person has an eternal destination. The Bible makes that very clear. I've been teaching basic Bible truths upstairs with a couple in our church. And, and, and we talked about how God separates everybody into two groups. Those that have no relationship, that are lost, condemned, unforgiven, headed for an eternity in, 
and, and, and the lake of fire, dead in their trespasses and sin, and those that are saved. And what's the difference? What we find right here in John chapter 19, the cross of Jesus Christ, and the instruction from John chapter 3 that if you believe, you'll have everlasting life. There's another part of this passage that I want us to see. We see that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. But what I think we need to hone in on finally is that Jesus finished the work of redemption. Verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. What is finished? What is he talking about? I can't hang up here anymore. I'm going to die. No. We can see a little bit about what he's talking about when we go back to chapter 17 and we see his prayer. He says in verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Hey, what, what work is he talking about? Well, we go all the way back to John chapter, uh, chapter 1. You go back to John chapter 1, verse 29, you see John, John the Baptist. And it says, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus came to finish your salvation. He came so that when you trust in him, you realize... Said and done. It's over. All that needed to be accomplished is accomplished. In fact, another way to, to, to interpret that, those words of Jesus, it is finished, is to, we could interpret it as it is accomplished. The work is done. I love later when we see in, in Scripture that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And you know why he's sitting What do you like to do after a long, hard day of work? Sit down. Because your work is done. <laughs> either, either you finished it or you can't do it anymore. Jesus finished it. Amen. He finished it. And why is this so important? Because the biblical truth of Jesus finishing redemption, well, first it's biblical. And it means so much to those of us who have a biblical faith in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a real distinction between uh, uh, biblical Christianity and other, other belief systems. Uh, we're Baptists here, okay? There's a Baptist on our sign out there, and we're going to have a, hopefully a new sign pretty soon. And it's going to say, Baptist on it, okay? Northwest Baptist Church. We're a Baptist church. But you know what? More than anything else, we're supposed to be a biblical church. Yes. Biblical. Uh, if we're just going to rely solely on what the men of the Baptist faith in the past told us, and, and but listen, you'll make mistakes doing that. There's a lot of guys who got it wrong. There's a lot of Baptists out there who get it wrong now. Uh, the goal is to be a biblical Christian. Uh, this is our source of truth. This is our source of salvation. Listen, if you want to know what God's opinion is on your eternal life, you have to go to an eternal God. You've got to trust what His Word says. And there's a, so there's a distinction for us between biblical Christians and other types of uh, worldviews. 
I'll name a couple, and I don't say this because I want to beat up on anybody or hurt anybody, but the Catholic Church has got this wrong. This whole, it is finished. Listen, they hear that and they go, okay, it is finished today, and next Sunday when you come to Mass and receive the, uh, the elements, well, then Jesus has to be crucified once over again. He suffers again. They, they go through this whole cycle of, uh, of constant Jesus is, being, is constantly the suffering servant. No, he did it one time for all. They believe you have to continually take. No, 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 no. When you get saved, it's Jesus who saves you. And when he finishes something, he doesn't have to do it over and over again. His salvation is perfect. His salvation is once for all time. There's the distinction again between us, uh, what I, I think is us, biblical Christians, and uh, what we might call charismatics or some other uh, Christian faiths that believe that you can lose your salvation. Uh, there's, mo- I would say most other Christian denominations say you can lose your salvation, that if you're not good enough, if you mess up bad enough, or if you uh, reject God, well, you're, you're probably not going to be saved any longer. Let me tell you, that does not that does, not, that does not come from it is finished. It comes from a poor understanding. And instead of God being a God who, like Jesus said, gives you his peace. Listen, think about what Jesus is saying when he said, my peace I give unto you. Not like the peace you're going to find in the world. My peace, something you can't find anywhere else. How are you going to have his peace if you think you're going to lose your salvation? He's giving you something different. And instead of we believing in a God who gives us his peace, because we know it's, our salvation is rooted solely and completely in him, instead, what we, what we, these who, who believe you can lose your salvation, what they understand is that they have a God who's angry and unstable, maybe. And, and suddenly, your relationship with God is a relationship built on fear and guilt. Wasn't that how the Pharisees operated? Yeah, they ruled through fear fear and guilt. But God came to set us free from that. When he said it is finished, he says, my peace I give unto you. If you've trusted Christ at one point in your life and you go... And, and as you go forward in your life, you experience some sin in our life. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, all of us sin. Whether you're saved or not, we all sin. We all still have our besetting sins. We all have our, our faults. And, and it's something that we're supposed to continually work on and that the Lord will help us to, uh, to grow beyond uh, through the process of sanctification. But we're still sinners in our flesh. The war is with, still continues with our flesh. But you know what that'll do? The devil will try to get a foothold in your life and say, man, you're a dirtbag. How could you be saved? You know what I do? I, that happens to me. That can happen to me for sure. Do you know what I do whenever that happens? I go back to God's word. Because what it says in John chapter 3, it said that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And I remember a time and place where I put all my full trust in Jesus Christ. And I have peace, peace of God. It is finished. This also is a distinction between us, what we believe is to be biblical Christians, and Judaism. 
The Jews didn't believe in Jesus. They still don't. There's some Messianic Jews that do. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But if you go to Psalm 22 and you read that passage, if you go to Psalm 69, you go to Psalm 34, you go to Isaiah 53, if you've read the Gospels, guess who you're going to see? Jesus. You know, there's only one way. Jesus said there was only one way. It's through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You know, it seems like a harsh thing in our world. This world, uh, this world hates the gospel because <laughs> it's harsh. We like to define righteousness and, and good and right on our own terms. Do you know, what does the Bible say about our righteousness? Filthy rags. We have no right to define what is good and right and true. Only God can define that. And from the foundation of the world, he did. He said that by the death of one, one that I will send, one who will fill all these prophecies, one who will go to a cross, shed his blood, only through him can someone be saved. He finished it. Not anyone else. There's no multiple roads up this mountain to heaven. There's only one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I'm going to tell you today, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, Jesus is the way. His work on the cross is what needed to be done so that you could be saved. Blood had to be shed. A sacrifice had to be made. And every sacrifice of history pointed to this one sacrifice. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, let me tell you, the Bible says very clearly in John chapter 3, Jesus talking in a conversation with, with Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again, whosoever believeth. It doesn't require church membership. It doesn't require catechism. Special baptism. It doesn't require good works. You've got to give a bunch of money to the church. It's that you believe in Him. And you might be here, and maybe you have a testimony. You think you're saved. And I'm going to encourage you to, to just take a little test. You know, ask, am I saved? And if you say yes, then ask, how did I get saved? And if your answer is, well, I believed on Jesus Christ only, then I'm going to ask you one last question. When did you get saved? I can tell you the day I got saved. It was June 3rd, 1997. I was a gangly, goofy-looking 14-year-old at church camp. And I got, God got a hold of me and told me, Darren, you're not sure of your salvation. You can make it sure today. 
And I did. I remember vividly. It may not have to be a specific day for you, uh, or you can mark it on a calendar, present or past. But there should be a time in your life when you understood. Before, I had not trusted. And afterwards, I have now trusted in Jesus Christ. If you're not sure of that time, I'm going to encourage you, pray. Because if I wasn't sure, I don't think I'd be sure about my own salvation. But you can be sure today. And whatever you do today does not undo anything that happened in the past. But it can give you assurance of your salvation. Let's stand together.